If you were with us last time, we said we'd take some personality tests and that we would talk about them. So I did. I answered some questions and the test spit out my results. But I also took another test, one where I didn't answer any questions. It said I'm a contemplative person because I like the movie Donnie Darko, but somewhat conservative because I'm into Conan O'Brien's comedy. How did the test figure all that out? Stay with us and find out. I'm Jose Espinoza. I'm Nicholas Bremner. And you're listening to Mind Your Work, a podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these two things together. Welcome to our second episode on personality in the workplace. Last time we spoke about the big five theory of personality, and we spoke about how personality is important for work performance as an individual and as part of a team. Today, we're going to discuss different ways of assessing personality, how employers are currently using personality tests, and how they might use them in the future. If you're with us last time, Jose and I said we were going to take a personality test, the Hexaco, to assess our own personality. You can also take an other version of the Hexaco to assess someone else's personality. And we're going to dive into that today by discussing how our perceptions of ourselves match up with our perceptions of each other. Right. And rather than turning this into a whole episode where basically Nick and I talk about how great we are and what our personalities are like, what we're going to try and focus on is that distinction between what the rating is when you evaluate yourself and what the rating is when someone else evaluates you. And Nick found a really interesting article on this that I think we probably should discuss further. Essentially, that article kind of broke down the different levels of accuracy with which personality is assessed. So we have our own perceptions of ourselves. These perceptions may be accurate or inaccurate. This depends on how self-aware we are as individuals. Sometimes we can have certain characteristics or habitual behaviors that we may not realize we have, but others can recognize it. So sometimes certain aspects of personality can actually be better measured by some, by asking someone else. Yeah, and what's really interesting about this article in The Atlantic is that they cite a meta-analysis that found essentially that ratings from your colleagues in terms of your personality are much better at predicting performance than ratings that are come from the person themselves. So that suggests that if we really want to find out how well I'm going to perform at work based on my personality, we probably shouldn't take my word for it. And so this suggests that there are some real differences in terms of how we see ourselves versus how others see us. And so instead of speaking in general terms, today we're going to be discussing the differences between how we see ourselves and how we see each other. What we did to determine that is we took the Hexaco test. I filled out a version for myself, and then I filled out a version answering the same questions about Jose. And the Hexaco essentially breaks down into six traits. That's honesty, humility, which is the unique trait that is not part of the big five, and we'll discuss that one last. Emotionality or neuroticism, extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and openness to experience. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to talk about each trait individually and then compare our scores. So for emotionality, which is very similar to neuroticism in the big five, Hexco you just uses a slightly different label. I rated myself as a 2.25 out of five, which is quite low. That's towards the bottom end of the, of the population. <laughs> Whereas Jose apparently thinks I get stressed out easily and gives me a 3.5. Uh, that's a difference of about 1.3. On a five-point scale, that's a huge difference. So, Jose, care to comment? <laughs> I, I think emotionality is interesting because, for example, then we look at my scores 
And the difference between your ratings and my ratings are only 0.3. Whereas the ratings for you, the difference is 1.3. So it's a much larger difference. And I wonder if emotionality and finding out how stable someone is, is really an individual difference to how good you are perceiving that. It's very possible that I'm just not as good at understanding out how anxious people are or in terms of whether they're sentimental or not. Because that's a very big difference. Whereas you were able to pretty much pinpoint what I think of myself and I was not able to get close to your own scores. Yeah, um, in terms of our overall scores, we're both pretty similar in terms of how we rate ourselves. We're in the, the low to mid two range. Your explanation for why the ratings differ is interesting. It's a very uh, agreeable explanation, taking the fall for that, rather than saying, oh, I think Nick is stressed <laughs> out all the time because you, uh, you say, maybe I'm not that accurate at assessing people's level of neuroticism or emotionality. Well, and maybe I'm cheating a bit by looking ahead at some of the other ratings we had, because I think we fairly agree in some other cases in a way that we did not hear. So that's what made me suggest, well, maybe it's really a discrepancy between my perceptions or maybe your own perceptions of how emotional you are. I guess we couldn't tell here. That's possible. And something like emotionality or neuroticism is a very internal state. And sometimes someone could be in a social situation where they could be extremely stressed out, but they're able to regulate it and not necessarily show that on the surface, right? So even though someone might perceive themselves as extremely neurotic and worrying about things all the time, the people around them might see them as a calm, collected person. Absolutely. And in contrast to that, the next trait we rated ourselves on was extroversion. And when you look at your scores and my scores and what the difference are sort of between those things, you differ in terms of 0.5 and I differ in terms of 0.6. That's less than an entire point, which obviously on a five point scale. And I think we got pretty close and that makes sense because it's going to be really easy to tell. I've been with you to parties before. We spent a lot of time working together. I've seen you interact with other people. I think we'd probably both be very good at telling really how much does that person enjoy social interaction. It's pretty obvious in your behavior, right? It's not an internal state. Yeah, exactly. It's a very outward facing characteristic. One of the really interesting results for me was the discrepancy in your scores, Jose, for agreeableness. You rated yourself very low in terms of agreeableness, whereas I rated you almost the top of the scale. Uh, you gave yourself, you, you yourself a 1.8, whereas I gave you a, about a 4.2. This I found fascinating because it suggests that you're pretty combative and like to disagree with people. Whereas at least in terms of the way you present yourself to me, you're very easygoing, you're very agreeable, easy to get along with. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a good point because for example, we did not disagree at all on your own scores. We actually had a zero differential in terms of how we rated you. And I wanna bring that up and circle back around to it when we talk about honesty, humility. I think there is connection there um, as to why we may be getting overall maybe higher disagreement on my scores than we are getting on your scores. And part of that is, I think it's because really I'm not agreeable, but I'm good at pretending I am. So moving on to conscientiousness, the one that we talked about in the last episode as being really important to individual performance, Nick and I actually didn't really differ that much when we rated each other on this scale. We're both fairly on the high end. We're both somewhere in the four points on the on a five point scale. And we don't differ much. We differ about 0.3 on Nick's scores and 0.12 on mine. So really that suggests conscientiousness might be really easy to assess. It's easy to see whether I'm late. It's easy to see uh, in terms of when I see Nick doing his work, what kind of work does he do? Is he organized? Did I find it really hard to schedule this podcast? And we've actually spent a lot of our friendship working together. 
we met each other in a PhD program. And a lot of the time we've actually spent working on papers in class and things like that. So the work environment, I think, is where I've had the most firsthand experience of getting to know you. So another area where we were actually really accurate at rating each other was openness to experience. In terms of the overall scale, Jose and I were both in the, the four range out of five. And Jose actually guessed my self-rating of openness to experience to the 100th of a point, whereas I was only 0.3 off of his score. And that's interesting. Why do you think that is? I spent some time thinking about this when I saw these results the first time. And I wonder if we were really good at judging each other's ratings on openness to experience, in part because of the context that we work in together. So we work together in research, which is a fairly creative endeavor, and you have to be willing to question things and look for innovative ways of doing things. And on top of that, we work on this podcast together. So we have the chance to kind of see each other stretch our openness to experience muscles a lot more than maybe other people. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it kind of makes me wonder about how well do you really need to know someone before you can accurately guess their personality? So the last trait we actually rated each other on was honesty, humility. And we want to spend a little bit more time talking about this one because it's a unique trait to the hexago. So the other traits are in the big five. But honesty, humility encompasses a sense of sincerity, how concerned you are with fairness. Do you desire material goods? And are you a modest person or not? And the interesting bit is that honesty, humility actually predicts a whole bunch of stuff beyond the big five. And we somewhat agreed on Nick's ratings on this. He's a 3.4. I rated him a 3.8. So we're only, our only difference is about 0.3. But for me, I gave myself a rating of two on this, whereas Nick gave me a 4.2. So our difference is two points. It's a pretty big difference. And I wanted to bring this up because I think this ties in really well into something that is related to personality, and that's impression management. I think what might be showing up here and on our agreeableness differences is that it's very likely that I engage in impression management much more than Nick does. This is also related to a construct called self-monitoring, which is the notion that there are simply people who are predisposed to be really aware of how they're supposed to behave in social interaction. And they will change their behavior accordingly to make themselves appear in a more positive light. And in turn, they will be rated to be more benevolent and more pleasant to other people who interact with them. I was wondering what you thought of of that way of interpreting the the personality scores. I think that makes a lot of sense. And we can basically just say that Jose is a great liar. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's very interesting. And so it makes me wonder about sometimes what you're actually thinking when you're reacting to things. If you're actually actively self-monitoring and saying in your head, well, I disagree with that, but the situation will go a lot better if I say I agree, or I think this about this person. However, I'm gonna hold those thoughts back for the sake of social harmony or for the sake of you know some kind of benefit later down the road. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting because that difference showed up in the agreeableness ratings, right? And that's particularly what you would imagine. If someone who was really not agreeable and on top of that, wasn't a high self-monitor. So they weren't looking to really, or weren't really aware. They're not predisposed to change their behavior according to the situation. You likely would have rated me much lower on agreeableness because we would have clashed a lot, right? Because I'm not an agreeable person. So on the other hand, because I'm high on this other construct that we didn't measure here, that might've really influenced the results. It sounds like it did. So I'm asking you as the person who's impression managing. (laughs) Do you really disagree with me all the time, but hold back? 
<laughs> no, no. But the, the thing with the self-monitoring construct, which I think is interesting about it, is that it's a predisposition, just like the rest of personality. So people who are high self-monitors ideally are people who are just likely to change their behavior naturally. And that has its advantages and disadvantages. But that is something that might in turn always be corrupting not just self-ratings of things, but now other ratings of things. So I wonder if when we looked at that meta-analysis in that article where they talked about how other ratings are better at predicting performance, I wonder if that would be different for a group of people who I think, and I'm self-identifying here, are high self-monitors because they're just likely to behave differently than what they actually are. It's absolutely possible. I mean, someone who is not very conscientious could behave in a conscientious way simply because they recognize the situation demands it. They might be highly disagreeable in some situations at home uh, with friends or family, but then at work, they might be incredibly agreeable. They might agree with their boss uh, so they can get that next promotion potentially. Self-monitoring is a really interesting concept because it makes you think of interviews when you have to be on your best behavior. People who engage in self-monitoring and impression management are able to create or present a certain aspect of themselves in an interview environment that is favorable so they can give off a good first impression and potentially get that job. Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to have to have an episode in the future on impression management and that whole part of literature that there's a lot of research on, particularly in interviews. But I just thought it would be an interesting bit to bring it up now. So I think the big takeaway here is that we seem to be really good at rating other people in terms of behaviors that are really observable whereas not so good at rating internal things that relate to thinking and feeling. However, there are some people who are really good impression managers and can actually present a certain side of themselves in an environment where they feel like they need to, to get some kind of desired outcome, like a job or a promotion, or simply get along better with others. This suggests that maybe we're not quite as good at rating personalities of people who are really great impression managers. So like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, I took a personality test that didn't ask me to answer any questions at all. Instead, it actually did something else. And that's what we want to talk about, these different ways of assessing personality when we're just not going to ask the person to answer questions about themselves. And we're not just going to hand the survey to one of their friends or maybe their partner and ask them to answer those questions instead. What Jose is talking about are personality tests that use machine learning based on your social media footprint to actually determine what kind of person you are. These assessments draw on your pattern of likes, your Twitter posts, what kind of language you use when you're posting on Facebook to devise a picture or a profile of you that's surprisingly accurate. And we're not going to get into the weeds too much as to exactly how this works, but essentially these machines, these algorithms have access to massive and massive and massive amounts of data. And by analyzing it all at once, they're able to slowly narrow down and find patterns between people. And when based on those patterns, they can start discerning what kind of personality tends to hover around these sorts of likes, these sorts of Twitter posts. It's much more complicated than that. But we think for our purposes, maybe that's enough for you to figure out that really these machines can be very powerful about finding out exactly what we're like. The test that Jose was talking about is called Apply Magic Sauce, and it's an algorithm developed by researchers in the Psychometric Center at the University of Cambridge. You can go to applymagicsauce.com, link it to your Facebook and Twitter, 
and then click go and it will spit out a whole heap of results about who you are based on all the posts you've made. And I've heard some people really express their skepticism about how accurate this algorithms can be. But I consider myself, for example, to be someone who doesn't use Facebook quite a bit. So I use Supply Magic Sauce and it looked at 41 Facebook likes, 275 Facebook posts, which sounds like a lot, but I'm sure it's a drop in the bucket for most people and 144 tweets. And just off that little bit of information, it was able to guess that I'm between 25 to 29 years old. It was able to guess that I'm about 76% likely to be male. And for the most part, when it looked at my actual personality, it was not that far off. Even though this algorithm wasn't able to work with too much data in Jose's case, I took it as well. And for me, it was based off of 325 Facebook likes, 493 Facebook posts, and 146 tweets. I'm not incredibly active on social media, but I'm comparatively more active than Jose is. One of the creators of this algorithm, Dr. Michael Kosinski from Stanford University, has done research demonstrating that with only 250 Facebook likes, this algorithm can actually outperform ratings from someone's spouse, possibly the person who knows them best. And I think what's really interesting about what Nick just mentioned about the notion of 250 Facebook likes being good enough to judge your, your personality more accurately than your spouse can judge it is that Nick put a note in our speaking notes in preparation for the podcast that asked, what do these algorithms know about us that we don't? And I think that's really interesting when you consider that these algorithms don't have to work with the imperfections that the human mind has, like memory. These algorithms don't have to worry about whether they can remember all the different ways that they've seen the person act. They just know what they're like based on these many posts that are forever enshrined somewhere on the internet. In this case, Facebook. We're actually recording this podcast at a very interesting time, at a time where news that broke about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, a company not related to University of Cambridge, started collecting data on millions of people on Facebook, over 50 million. Cambridge Analytica was responsible for the analytics behind Donald Trump's campaign that helped him take the presidency of the United States. Cambridge Analytica was able to collect social media data without many Facebook users' knowledge about their interactions and behavior online, able to predict their personality, and then use that information in conjunction with additional online footprints to push out messaging customized to them to encourage them to vote in a certain direction or the other. This is an important issue in data privacy, something that we won't talk about here, but it's a very interesting and scary example of how how you behave online really indicates the kind of person you are and the power that these new algorithms have to be able to predict what kind of characteristics you have and then provide you with information that you're more likely to respond to. But ultimately, would employers care about this information? Would employers be interested in using an algorithm like Apply Magic Sauce? to find out your personality and how would they use it. So all this discussion about different ways of measuring personality begs the question about how employers actually use it and how they will use it in the future. I used to work for different consulting firms where we'd use personality assessments to try and predict how someone would behave in the workplace. We'd give someone a personality test, have them fill it out, look at the results, and then write up a report for their potential employer or potentially for their current employer so we could coach them to become better leaders. 
Yeah. So, and, and I guess what I wanted to do was maybe dig into some questions about that experience you had that maybe our listeners would be interested in. So it sounds like you guys were really focused on just using self-ratings of personality, right? Yeah. We pretty much exclusively use self-ratings. Did you ever think that might have been an issue? Was there ever a, an attempt to get ratings from other people? I mean, knowing now, I guess, what we do in terms of how good other ratings are at predicting performance. That's a good question. And it really depends on what you're actually using the personality assessment for. So we use personality assessments to help employers select the best candidate for a job. So what we call a selection context. And we also use personality assessments to help coach people to become better leaders and become more self-aware. In the first case, we only use self-ratings of personality. But now that I think about it, you could use other ratings of personality as well. This would actually be kind of like uh, an alternative to a reference check. Rather than asking about when did this individual work and how did they behave at work, you could potentially give an individual a personality assessment about the candidate, perhaps a former boss or coworker, and maybe you could get even better information about how that individual was. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to have to jump in there. And I think that's a really interesting idea because we know in the research area, and again, I feel like we say this all the time. We're going to cover this in the future. We know that references are really not good predictors of performance because it turns out if you ask for a reference from someone, you know they'll give you a good one. So they're just not that valid in terms of predicting all the things that we care about. Maybe we've stumbled onto another way of essentially an alternative version of the reference check, like you mentioned. The issue that I see right now, though, is related to legislation. So I know that in Canada, legislation is really tightened up in terms of what you can and can't say in a reference check. What kind of ethical or legislative issues would come up when you're giving individuals personality tests about former employees? Could they get sued for saying the individual wasn't conscientious, fully knowing that the employer was looking for a conscientious person to hire? So in a coaching context, we did use self-ratings of personality, but we also used other ratings of personality in the form of uh, what you've might have heard of as a 360 assessment. So using a 360 approach to assess a coaching candidate was a really good way of determining how self-aware this individual was. I know that some of my past clients had self-ratings that were completely off the mark from five or six peers. And when you're comparing your self-rating to the rating of one other person, the discrepancy could be because the person is inaccurate. But when you're comparing a self-rating against the ratings of, let's say, six coworkers, if six coworkers say that you're not very empathetic, but you report that you're extremely empathetic, that indicates that you're probably not as self-aware as you could be. And so this kind of was a good source of data to help start the conversation about what are some things that you could improve and then help give them advice in certain situations where they could actually improve those characteristics about themselves. And for the most part, I think the norm is to do what you guys did in terms of how you use personality tests. There were self-ratings using a questionnaire. But what if we consider these algorithm methods that we just discussed in the previous section? I wonder if employers are going to start moving towards using that kind of information, given how accurate they are. One of our colleagues at Western actually did his dissertation on the validity of Facebook ratings for job performance. I remember from a conversation I had with them years ago, employers were actually asking potential employees or applicants for their Facebook login information so they could collect information about their Facebook activity online. This is something that I think will continue to uh, trend in a positive direction. I think that uh, as people become more enmeshed in the online world, 
and they provide more and more data, this is something that employers are really going to start looking into as a way of predicting how that individual is going to behave in the workplace. Now, of course, we don't want to cause a widespread panic by essentially suggesting that Big Brother is going to be looking at all of your information all of the time. And it's not just the government. Now it's your company. But it's something worth considering. And I think it's probably going to continue to show up in the news as we find out more and more about the kinds of things that are happening, including the kind of operation that Cambridge Analytica was running. So keeping that in mind and being informed as to exactly what is the kind of information that can be derived in terms of my personality is probably a good place to start. So we hope that if you are comfortable with it, maybe you'll also go to Apply Magic Sauce. Remember that it's run by the University of Cambridge, not Cambridge Analytica. They have no association with each other. This is actually an educational institution, and they are bound by ethical guidelines in terms of what they can and cannot do with your data. Now, this is not homework, but if you're interested in finding more about data privacy and exactly how all of this might affect you, there's a really interesting documentary online called Do Not Track. We're going to put the link to the website in the show notes. It's a personalized documentary that's going to change based on the kind of information you put into it. It's a really interesting thing to look at, and we think you might really enjoy it, and it might put the kinds of things we talked about today into perspective. Let us know if you found this documentary interesting, and if you learned anything about your digital footprint and how your employer might be able to use it by sending us a tweet at mindyourwork.io or visit our website at mindyourwork.io. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. You don't even know our tagline? I didn't have it open. My God, Nick. We say it every time. <laughs> Listen, man, normally I read from a script. I'm like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I'm completely useless without my teleprompter. <laughs>